Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We have a story to talk about this morning that I really cannot believe. It boggles the mind. Ohio miscounted 4,000 people who died of COVID. This week in the CLE, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with my colleagues, Laura Johnston, Jane Cahoon, and Chris Wernowski. And let's just get right to it because it's all we want to talk about. How did Ohio miss 4,000 people who died of the coronavirus in their daily counts? Jane Cahoon, we'll start with you. This is astounding. They waited till after hours yesterday to put this information out and they gave one of the most twisted explanations. I still don't understand it, but this raises questions about the incompetence of the entire administration as it goes forward with the coronavirus. What are the details to get the conversation? Yeah, I mean, as journalists, we're used to, uh, you know, bad news dropping after hours. That's what government agencies do. And as you said, the explanation was almost incomprehensible, but they did fess up to underreporting 4,000 COVID deaths, and they said they're going to adjust those totals over the coming days. So instead of just under 12,000 deaths, we really have about 16,000 deaths, which is like a 33% jump. So it's going to look really skewed, just like it was when they were working their way through that backlog of tests and they were they were underreporting the case numbers. But I have to say, we, we were somewhat annoyed, you know, not just because they did it at a late hour, but our data expert, Rich Exner, had specifically asked about deaths on Monday after he became aware that the CDC was reporting higher figures by coincidentally about 4,000. And he was diligently trying to figure this out, like maybe it was people from Ohio who died in other states or just, you know, what was going on. So he posed these questions to the Ohio Department of Health and got no answer. And then voila, they dropped this news like a like a bomb. What they said was process issues affecting the reconciliation and reporting of these deaths began in October. The largest number of deaths were from November and December. So I guess it all comes down to Dan Tierney, the governor's spokesman, told us that it involved reconciliation of death records from two different databases. One is the infectious disease database that hospitals and health departments report to, and the other is the ones with the uh, death certificates from the counties. Go for it. Go for it, Chris. So they weren't looking at death certificates to count deaths. I mean, that, that just defies all imagination. Of course you would look at death certificates to calculate how many people died of the coronavirus. That just doesn't hold any water. Look, I know everybody wants to weigh in on this, but I want to point out, 
We've been questioning the Ohio Health Department almost since the beginning of the pandemic. Remember last summer when after lots of our questions about the contact tracing, we were trying to get the contact tracing data to see how the coronavirus was spreading. They finally fessed up and said, yeah, we we don't ask that. That's not part of the process. That's not what contract tracing is for. We use contact tracing to look forward. So they were talking to people who were sick and not asking them how they got it, which might have helped with all of DeWine's coronavirus restrictions. They rolled out a vaccine plan that we questioned from the beginning because it was going to leave poverty-stricken, largely black residents in the cities behind, which it has. The divide is huge. This, though, takes it in a whole new direction. The fact that they weren't looking at death certificates to get information about people who died of the coronavirus is inexcusable. It, it just doesn't this raise questions about the competence of this entire operation? I mean, how many more questions can you raise about the competency of this organization? <laughs> I mean, I, no, I honestly, my immediate thought from this is that people should be fired or people should resign in disgrace. I mean, you basically wiped the entire existence of a town the size of Chagrin Falls off the map. It is amazing to me. Like you said, a third increase in deaths is astounding. When this story came across last night, I like not screamed, but I shout. I was so angry by this. And, it, and it's and it's just one more abject failure on top of the other missteps, trying to do it right. We're all working in this together. It's you know, I mean, I, I, I know what he's going to say at this press conference today when he's questioned about this. Every every wormy way that Mike DeWine has wiggled away from any responsibility from the multitude of failures of responding to this coronavirus, all that goodwill that he had at the beginning is gone. He doesn't deserve any respect. This is abhorrent and he should be ashamed of himself. Laura Johnson, that was Chris Warnowski. Laura Johnson, what do you think? I think that you're right. I mean, this isn't just a failure. This shakes everyone's belief in the system. We already have a lot of mistrust when it comes to wearing masks, having the vaccine. And now we're going to tell people, oops, we miscounted by 4,000. I mean, I sent this out on our text message platform last night and got some responses from people saying, like, did they mean to do this? What are they trying to cover up? And then other people saying, seriously said this, then how do you think that our, our elections weren't mismanaged? I mean, every time the government right. mismanages well, something this badly, it just shakes everyone's you know trust in everything. But that's a good question. I mean, the, the, the idea that they could be this incompetent does defy belief. And you do have to wonder, was there an intentional reason for this? I, I just... I, I, and, and, and knowing not look at death certificates when you are counting deaths and knowing this state, there will not be a meaningful hearing about this. Like, I, I doubt we'll get any logical inquiry into what happened. I, I, I have no confidence that not the government, but the, the political side of this, the, the politics side of this, it, it won't allow us to understand what happened here? I, I just up. I have no faith in that. Back up. It should be the government. The, the the legislature, which is supposed to be the check and balance on the governor, should be having hearings on this. How in the hell did the health department not think to count the death certificate information? Well, it doesn't feed into the proper conspiracy theory that we're you know over reporting deaths. Uh, I mean, that's as Laura said, that's the <laughs> shame of this whole thing because people don't trust the government, but on. But on the far right, you know, they think we're being lied to that there really aren't as many deaths. So this is the opposite direction. But 
nevertheless, it just feeds into the mistrust. Well, well we can't Rich... count on this legislature to do anything right. They won't last. We'll be talking about Larry Hillsolder. They won't get rid of HB6. I mean, these people are pretty much criminal in their lack of action in the jobs they have. So I would not expect them. Chris is right. We will get no accountability. No one will drill into who is to blame for this. How did it happen? And possibly why did it happen if it was intentional? Laura. I was just going to say, didn't Rich do a, I mean, he did a really great story on the increased number of deaths in Ohio over the last year in 2020. And he was sharing that they didn't even have like a coronavirus box to check, right? Like, so he was trying to figure out which boxes meant coronavirus deaths. So I feel like he's done more work to search into this. <laughs> well, but that brings up one of two things. Either one, our Rich Exner discovered this problem yes. and alerted the state about it, or the state knew about this. We found out about it, and then they announced it as if it was something that they had just discovered. So, yeah, so they said it was, it's either incompetence or dishonesty. It can't they be. They said it was discovered in a routine employee training. Which sounds equally mind-boggling. Well, right. It sounds mind-boggling. Two days after Rich Exner asks about it, they root, they discover it. it, it, it look, they stuck it to Rich because they were embarrassed. I mean, we were going to do a story. I mean, we're doing the story anyway. We're going to continue to ask questions about this. Chris is right. Somebody should lose a job over this. Some, some group of people, whoever was in charge of this, has failed miserably. And look, where were the county health departments? I mean, aren't they looking at death certificates? So aren't they looking at the county by county numbers going, well, wait a minute. No, we had hundreds more than than are being reported by the state. Is nobody actually paying attention to the death certificates? Lots of questions here. We've got to move on. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What do the elected officials from Larry Householder's neck of Ohio think of him remaining a member of the Ohio House in good standing? Jane Cahoon? I got to tell you, it's nice to see somebody outraged by his presence as much as we are. Yeah. You know, it was interesting because we, we keep hearing about how popular Householder is in his district. But I guess that's in his hometown of Perry County. But he also happens to re represent all of Coshocton County. And apparently even his fellow Republicans there in that county have had it with him since he was arrested and, and charged in what federal authorities say is this the biggest bribery scheme in Ohio history. And just to remind people, Householder was removed as House Speaker, but he still has his legislative seat because he was reelected with only write-in opposition in November. And the legislature, which had intended to expel him after the, his reelection, is still dithering about this. But we, we got nearly 20 elected officials, including all three Coshocton County commissioners, the county prosecutor, the auditor, the recorder, the engineer, the Coshocton mayor and city council president, and several Republican Party committee members. They've all signed this letter to House Speaker Bob Cup to immediately replace them. They're, they're basically saying, we don't have a voice in Columbus because, you know, Householder, even though he has a seat, he's not received any committee assignments. And they point out that their county got less funding than other similar rural counties in, in the capital budget last year. They note that, you know, the Constitution guarantees you a fair trial and a presumption of innocence. But they said, you know, holding an elective office, it's not a right. It's a, it's a privilege and a sacred trust. And it's clear that he's not effective and, and we can't be left behind. So get rid of him. 
Right. He's indicted as the mastermind of the biggest corruption scheme in state history. And Bob Cup is not ousting him, you know, just like they're not erasing the corrupt thing that that householder masterminded the HB6. This legislature is a joke, really, when it comes to doing the right thing. I just was glad to see all of them sign on, you know, because there is a lot of pressure these days when you stand up to the party. And as we can see with Rob Portman, everything he does is like, yeah, there's a lot of courage there. Right. So but these people all got together and signed and said, get him out of there. We want honest representation that matters to us. Will it make a difference? I don't (laughs) I don't know. I mean, you know, they don't represent that district. So I I just don't know. I don't know what's holding them up, why they're afraid to pull the trigger on this. Does Bob Cup have no shame? I mean, he's the leader of the house. Does he have no shame that this this stain on their body remains among them? Yeah. I think what you 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 posed an actually a very interesting question that I think about a lot, which is what are they afraid of? They seem to be afraid of their constituency. They seem to be afraid of their donors, and and they seem to be afraid of of just doing any anything that's even mildly considered controversial. Like what are like they just they seem really hesitant for some reason and it doesn't make sense. This this seems like a layup. This seems like something Where I say as, that they're worried, you know, he has something on them. <laughs> but I, I this is Laura Johnston. I just feel like they're just every politician and sorry if this is painting with a broad brush but they're just concerned with keeping their own jobs. Like they just want to keep getting paid and going to work. And so they're just afraid to do anything that might antagonize anyone. Yeah. That sounds like socialism to me. It used to be about doing the right thing, you know, just do the right. There's no question what the right thing here is. It's not a subjective thing. It's as objective. He shouldn't be there. He's been indicted on serious felonies. That's the way it goes. He should be gone and they don't do it. Chris, he has not been convicted of a crime. (laughs) And the crime revolves around the state house. It's not like he's charged with, you know, uh, writing a bad check or something, you know, in his personal life. This is like, was the state house being corrupted? I I do want to point out, Chris, that the nonprofit that that processed the $61 million in bribe money that he's accused of directing is pleading guilty. So it takes and it's, a and little it's Rico. Bit it's racketeering. It oh, is. Right. It's, that is a, that is, let me tell you, that's a big net. That's yeah, a very true. big net. So he, sh- he shouldn't be there. It's yeah. plain and simple. He shouldn't be there. And, and I'm, I'm glad to see that there's some <laughs> other people saying it. You're listening to this week in the CLE. Why did two new county commissioners in Lorain County renege on granting $4.6 million to social service agencies like food banks to help people through the coronavirus pandemic? Laura Johnston, our columnist, Layla Tassi, put together a decent column. It ran on the Plain Dealer today without an opinion tag, bad us. But it's pretty striking what's happening there. Yeah, this is a pretty incredible story. But these two commissioners say the county isn't a charity. So these are two newly elected Republican county commissioners, Michelle Hung and David Moore. They overruled their Democratic colleague, Matt Lundy, and voted to revoke this money that was already approved by their predecessors. The commissioners argued that the former board members had improperly granted the money, that they were just trying to embarrass these Republicans, knowing they wouldn't let it stand. And they said that they need the money to cover their operating expenses, which they have a $21 million carryover from the previous years. And so this means they disappointed more than 20 social service agencies in Lorain County that had been working through the pandemic to deliver really necessary services to people, 
rent and utility assistance, senior citizen meal programs, animal charities, programming for children. I mean, just poster children for for doing the right thing. What's really interesting is that the county got all this federal CARES money. They got $16 million in CARES funding. So rather than just act as a pass-through agency, which would force all of these nonprofits to go through really expensive auditing, they decided to use the CARES money for their jail and police and you know sheriff's department. And they were allowed to do that and instead use general fund money to give to these agencies. And that's why the commissioners are saying, nope, we're not going to give our general fund money. Yeah, but it's a bogus thing because right. it's not really general fund money. It's an artificial argument they're using. They spent general fund money to help people out. That's supposed to pay for operations. They didn't. They took money that was, was going to go for that, put it into the stuff that the general fund normally pays for to, like you said, free it up with no audit. And, and for them to explain otherwise is pretty dishonest. Why do we think they did this? Just to stick it to their predecessors? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you can stand against like starving senior citizens in kids education programs. There's been a whole lot of outcry against this. People are speaking up. Um, Marcy Kaptur, who's obviously a Democrat, but she represents Lorain County, put out a statement saying that this was a short-sighted shell game with the public's money. And she pointed out that the spirit of CARES funding was to help local communities augment their services. Like It was meant to help people. And I hope that there's enough of a groundswell speaking out against these commissioners that they have to change their mind. Okay. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. What is Jobs Ohio thinking with its new marketing campaign in big American cities, a campaign catching some criticism in social media? Chris Ranowski, are they selling the fact that we undercount coronavirus deaths, have the most corrupt <laughs> legislature in history, and all the other good news that's happening in Ohio? Yeah, it's weird because uh, Frank Jackson's butthole of the world uh, slogan was also out there. I don't know why Jobs Ohio didn't use that one either. <laughs> but this, and just to be clear, this the, the the ad campaign that they're doing is not the $50 million in ad money that Mike DeWine wants to set aside to convince young people to move what he called, quote unquote, progressive Ohio. But Jobs Ohio is running the pilot, this pilot ad program in cities like Boston, New York, Seattle, and some other high cost U.S. cities to convince people to move to Ohio. There's a big movement among conservative, uh, wealthy people to flee cities like New York and Los Angeles to uh, lower tax havens like Texas and Miami. And and Ohio doesn't want to be left behind, apparently. The ads that they put up are are tailored to uh, specific cities. So for example, the one in Times Square, New York City says, your buildings are taller, our taxes are smaller. For Seattle, it says, live where you can actually afford to save for a rainy day. And for Boston, uh, near Fenway Park, 0% corporate income tax. That's the ticket. Yet yeah, that's really appealing to the everyman there. And, uh, and in Austin, everything is bigger in Texas except your house. We don't know how much this campaign cost uh, because Jobs Ohio is exempt from public records requests, despite the fact that it's funded with money from the state's liquor monopoly. But we do know the ads were produced by the Madwell, which is an ad agency that has offices here in Brooklyn, Ohio. But the, the response was a little mixed. I think, I think a lot of people on social media were kind of puzzled by the idea that, that these ads don't really explain why it would be a good, a good reason to move to Ohio uh, or to live here. And frankly, some people were offended about the fact that, you know, you're, you're basically saying like, oh, big businesses pay no taxes. But if you move here, you'll have to. The, well, let me ask you, their, 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 their defense seems to be. It's a successful campaign because people are talking about it, whether talking about it good or bad. It's that idea that, 
hey, and no publicity is bad publicity. It's putting the idea into people's heads that, and it's getting attention. Is there truth to that? I mean, if you're in New York and you're, and you're tired of being hemmed in through the coronavirus and things got pretty hairy there, and you're thinking about getting out, does this sow the seed in your mind of going to Ohio, even if it's a negative? I mean, I, I'm not the COO of a, a major corporation, but I would like to think that if 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 I didn't know already that Ohio would be a good place to go to for favorable tax benefits, I would be bad at my job if I was learning that from a billboard. So I, I, I don't know how effective the whole like, hey, people are talking about it. it I don't know how effective that is anymore. Because well, it's, except, it's, it's easy except, to get trolled and, and, and for this stuff to go viral for the wrong reasons anymore. But, but there's 50 states. And, mm-hmm. and if you're trying to be one people talk about, does, does, which seems to be their argument. They, they weren't that open when we did the story. But it seems to be their argument is, hey, we're, we're prying Ohio into the headspace that Mm -hmm. people are hearing Ohio and that makes it a success. And I, that's the one where I don't know. I, is is that a success or is it more, God, look at stupid Ohio. Look, I grew up on the East coast and I can tell you people did not look favorably on Ohio on the East coast. This is Laura Johnston. I feel like people mix up Ohio and Iowa on the East coast. So, but like, no, 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 no. (laughs) We, We in New Jersey knew that Ohio had the worst drivers in the country. Because we'd see Ohio license plates and they couldn't drive. I just, I mean, did, did was, anyone watch the video that this directed them to? Because that was worse to me than the billboards. Like, they want you to watch this video. And then I was like, there's this, like, random picture of a waterfall on it. I was like, this is what you're showing people? Like, I feel like Pure Michigan had a much better idea by, like, showing these beautiful vistas. And you're like, oh, I would like to be there rather than, like, you know, a small building. But well, that's tourism. That's different than economic development, which is Jobs Ohio's bailiwick. If they're trying to get into the heads of of business types that might want to relocate, I, I, it'll be interesting to see if there's any success. And of course, there's such a closed agency. We'll never know if it was successful. Well, right? I, I, would, I would tout that maybe in 50 years, we might be one of the few places in America with fresh water. <laughs> you know, like, there you go. Let's push that. Or as New Jersey people would say, water. water. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to this week in the CFA. We have a better understanding of how the people who are filing hundreds of thousands of fraudulent unemployment claims in Ohio are getting our private information to make the claims. Jen Cahoon, this is the hottest story of the week. I keep hearing from people about this. I had written a column that addressed it over the weekend, and it brought a flood of, of people with lots of examples. So we're really digging in. And the story yesterday was the first insight I really got into how this happened. Yeah, and we had to go to experts in private industry because we can't get any answers from the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. But, you know, this the experts describe this really as a perfect storm. You got unprecedented numbers of people thrown out of work by the by the pandemic. You got looser requirements and then you got these antiquated un, unemployment systems like Ohio's, which, you know, are just over overwhelmed by this. So the scammers, what they do, they've taken advantage of the fact that the requirements for the special pandemic assistance were looser, like you could self attest that you qualified or you could say I'm self-employed. So there, that would eliminate the employer verification part of it. They told Jeremy that at least 70 percent of bogus unemployment claims, you know, this would be more of a national perspective 
uh, originated overseas in, in countries like Nigeria. And a large portion of these scams are conducted by these organized crime rings that have names like Scattered Canary and Yahoo Boys. And the one expert said they literally just live in compounds and all they do 24-7 is try to figure out how to trick people into stealing their identity and, and stealing their money. So they sell, you know, not only personal information that they get from big data breaches, even years old data breaches, but they also sell these step-by-step instructions to to others about how to exploit each state's system. So, you know, they get that information and then I guess it's like easy, easy money for them. They they get the funds sent to like a direct deposit or they use, now this was really interesting, these money mules who are often unwitting middlemen who, you know, who've replied to ads that the scammers post on job websites and they think they're working for a legitimate company and they they try to intercept these debit cards that they they send to people by like posing as state officials and asking people to, the, oh, we need your card back or something, or even going to people's homes and claiming that the card was sent to them by mistake. And then, then the really sad part is once the criminals get all this money, they often use it for illegal purposes like drugs and, and human trafficking. I'm shocked that, that, that Nigeria would be a center of this. I get lots yeah, of right. from there with really attractive investment uh, yes, ideas. Yes. <laughs> the, the, the idea, I mean, I, I did hear from some people that are suggesting that it's that, that when the cards are sent, you know, people do this in other names and get it sent to an address. And then the goal is to rifle the mailboxes. I would think that would be a lot harder these days because of the number of people that have doorbell cameras that you would end up getting caught, that people would see that right. more frequently. But clearly it's it's happening in I, a big, big way. I was checking last night to see if I had been, uh, if if I had had my data breach. And it dawned on me that because my my old tax address, my the, the address that I used to file for unemployment last year when we were on furlough was an apartment address. And I wonder if they avoid apartment buildings because you know, it, it would be impossible. I have a lock. You had a locked mailbox in there. And I just wonder if if there's some kind of strategy behind how how these scammers approach things. If they see if they see an apartment, do they avoid trying to file something for that? I just it would be it would be nice to to have more more of an open explanation from this from, you know, people in law enforcement or people from the state. But you know, I, I just, I feel like people they were state can't even count the number of people who are dead from the <laughs> right, coronavirus. Right, but I just, I feel They're like they're never going to figure out a Nigerian. And because of this fraud, they can. probably can't count the number of unemployed people but, but either. What's, what's, what's interesting is that it's, it's in, in the early stages of things like this, it's easy to sort of dismiss it as like, oh, it's just a couple of hackers in a room doing this. And, and, and I don't think people really understand the scope of how, how big these operations get and how, and how savvy they are. I mean, you, you think, you think back to all of the election disinformation and everything. And it's like those troll farms are run like, like newsrooms and they, they are posed as legitimate jobs. So people, what do you mean like run like newsrooms? You're trying to say we're running a sweatshop here. <laughs> some of the, some of the troll farms were actually, they were advertised it to out of work journalists in Russia. That's how those, a lot of those things started. And so, you know, people took jobs thinking they were, getting in the social curation business and what they were doing was trying to influence an election. So it's, it's what I'm saying is that, that these things are larger than just like criminal operations. Some of these, some of these things have like secret government sanction. I mean, these things are, are huge and they're international crimes that 
are going to involve probably the State Department, Interpol. You know, there's a lot going on here. All right. You're listening to This Week in the CLE. I guess we'll leave the rock call discussion for tomorrow. Jen Coon, I have to go get a glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Chris. Thanks to everybody who listens to This Week in the CLE. 